Moments, memories, laughter, pain. It happened, we feel it, we experience it, and it's all part of our story. A conversation that changes everything, a circumstance that gives us perspective, beauty that takes our breath away. Life is happening now and things are moving forward. Our journey is being written and God is in our midst. And if we pay attention, we'll notice. When we trust, He inspires. When we surrender, He redeems failures. He plants vision. When we unite our efforts, we get to be a part of something beyond what we could ever imagine. God changes lives. He builds stories. And building stories is the reason we are here. Amen. So we start a new series today called The Vertical Story, and uh, we our website is verticalstory.com. We just believe in the power of your story. Do you know what the scripture says in Revelation that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, our story, what God is doing in our lives. We're going to see here in Corinthians that uh, the scripture mentions that we're living epistles. We're living stories of the things and the acts of God here on earth even now. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, it'd be so great if we could have been a disciple, if we could have been back in the Bible, if there could have been a story about us. But God is still writing God's stories and he's using you to make them. Amen. All throughout scripture, you see there's a time to sow. There's a time. There's all these seasons that God describes all throughout scripture. And very particularly, he mentions seasons. There's this season. There's that season all throughout. And even when you hear a story in a Bible, they'll even mention the season or the time, of course, that they were in some of it for historical purpose, but also to point out just the seasons in which God works in. Well, it's the same thing in our life. God works in seasons. He works in seasons of our lives. And there's a problem in our culture is we have this thing called destination disease. We just have this disease about us that says, if I can just get to that, then I'll be happy. If I can get to that destination, then I'll be happy. If I can just get to that, if I can just get to that, 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 instead of harvesting what you're currently in. See, you're in a season for a reason because God wants you to get something from that season. And, and so seasons are extremely important for us to live aware of what we're in. And one thing that is a problem in our culture is we move so fast, so fast, so fast, so fast, that we're always trying to get out of the season. But there's something to harvest in the season. We have that destination disease. But I'll tell you this about seasons, even a bad season. You're in a season and it feels like forever and I'm never going to get out of this. And, and you look back five years later and you barely remember like the, the pain or the fresh. I mean, you remember, but it's just not as big as it was when it was glorified in front of you. And so what I want to encourage you in is if you're in a season that's a tough season, just hang in there, stay in there because years from then you're going to look back and all you're going to see is the fruit of it. There's so many people that go through tragedy and go through just terrible seasons but God's led them out of it or they've been delivered out of it and they're out of it. And they look back and though it was turmoil, though it was terrible, many people say, I wouldn't go back and give it back because what they harvested from it made them who they were. So God works in our stories and in our seasons. He uses you to bring glory here on earth, which we'll look at here in a minute. So every year we do this series called A Vertical Story. We talk about our story as a church and your story as people. And so one time a year we take a look at this. And so this scripture you're going to probably have heard before if you've been with us for a little bit, but it's kind of the core of what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians 3.1. It says, and so these, these are some of the disciples, they're writing 
And they're starting to talk about how they, they, they come into towns and their influences and, and how they influence people and how their stories are being uh, kind of communicated. And so it says this, it says, are we beginning to commend ourselves or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And so they're talking about like, essentially, do we need to like start branding this thing? Do we need to like have something go before us to kind of set us up or so people who know where we know who we are, all this kind of stuff. So they're having this conversation about like how how they approach the cities. Verse two, it says, you yourselves are our letter. So saying, do we really need to consider putting this together? That together? You, the people are our letter. What God has done in your lives, it says, you are our letter written on our hearts, known and known and read by everyone. Verse three, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the results of our ministry written, not in ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And they go on to kind of talk about, and, and, and scholars reading into this, they, they really allude to like, we are living epistles. We're living stories of God. It says right here that, you know, our stories are not made of ink and tablets, but it's the fruit of our lives that are the stories of God. So what is your story? I will never forget. Uh, I was at a funeral. Uh, this was a few years ago. And, and I heard this thought of what is your dash? So somebody dies, so they're born at this time, and they pass away at this year, and in between is the dash. And so they have this great thought of like, well, what is your dash? What is the in-between? What is your uh, in-between? What, what does it mean? What's the value? What is the purpose of your life spent in-between? What have you done with it? The scripture says that we go from dust to dust. So what happens in between is what matters. And what's beautiful about the kingdom of God is our time here on earth isn't for nothing. God didn't just create us and say, okay, you got to live out this many years and then it's over. He created heaven. He said, I've gone and made a place for you. So everything that you do in your dash, you can, if you're doing it in the spirit, if you're doing it in the kingdom of God, you can build up. The scripture talks about treasures in heaven. I've gone and prepared a place for you. Eternity matters with what we do. Amen. It's more than just heaven or hell, I guess is what I'm trying to say. A lot of people say, well, I need to live right because I don't want to go to hell. But you also want to live in a way that eternity, you have treasures and things that you've brought people with you to heaven. Amen. <laughs> you want a party bus on your way to heaven. Amen. <laughs> so the thing is, nobody gets up at a funeral and talks about, well, you know, he was, man, he just had so much money. You know, we just loved that they had all that money. We just love that they had all this stuff. When somebody gets up and talks about somebody at a funeral, what do they talk about? stories. They get up and they share stories about the person's life, significant moments in their life that made an impact on their heart. Why? Because that's how God designed us to live. We're wired to be impacted by stories of goodness. Amen. And so the scripture talks about, you know, it's not I that live, it's Christ that live in me. We should be living out Christ every day. I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but what do we do with our life? What is our story? Our story should be Christ lived out in us on display. Generosity, forgiveness, compassion, all those type things. The joy of the Lord we talked about last month. All those things are, the, are Jesus in us. Amen? So Acts chapter 4 it begins to talk about the power of a story. Acts chapter 4 verse 7. It says, they had Peter and John brought before them. So this is Acts chapter 4, verse 7, it says, it's a story, uh, some of the leaders are now questioning 
uh, Peter and a miracle that he did and, and this whole thing. And so verse seven, it says, then Peter and John brought before them and began, was brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Did you do this healing? Verse eight, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to the account today for an act of kindness shown to a man that was lame and are now being asked for how he was healed, verse 10, then know this, you, all the people of Israel, it is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom was crucified and was raised from the dead, that this man stands healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which, is the, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So just want to kind of pause here. Um, all of this was a really big political setup. Even what he said here, uh, this whole thing of salvation is found... They used to talk about Caesar is the only way by which you could be saved. And so he's saying, nope, the only way. And so this, this whole rhetoric all sets up this right here. And so he brings it home in verse 13. They come back to him and they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, Scripture says there was nothing they could say. So all of this political conversation, all of this big stand and pressure, and all of this is taking place. But at the end of the day, the kicker was they couldn't argue these guys' story because they saw it lived out. In our culture, in the darkness, and whatever you might say, whatever we're facing, and all of this stuff, you could say, okay, that your story can't be trumped. Amen? So what God did in your life, people may kind of come at you and judge you and pick at you and, well, this, 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 and this, but at the end of the day, they're going to go, well, I saw what God literally did in you and there's nothing that I can say about it. Amen? Your story, what I'm trying to say, is your story has power. Your story has power. And a lot of people think, well, my story's not quite put together well enough and it's not just perfect. You notice that the scripture said that he could tell that they were just ordinary men. They weren't perfectly polished. It wasn't all put together. They didn't have all these degrees and things. They were just people who trusted God and God used them and then people couldn't argue it. Amen? Yeah. Don't wait for your story to be perfectly put together and all this because God uses people who are willing. Amen? Yeah. So I brought three points before we leave. There's three things we need to know about our story. There's three things we need to do. Number one, and you can write this on your worship guide. Number one, is you can't compare your story to unrealistic stories. The trouble with the culture that we see is what you see is not reality. So the, the, the problem that we have is you pick up a magazine cover and that person is actually airbrushed and that person is all perfectly edited. And, and so then we compare ourselves to what is not realistic. So, oh, my story needs to be like this and it's not reality. Or you go and you watch things on TV and you see uh, this type life and this type life. And you have to understand all of those things are perfectly scripted and written. Amen? Uh, so, oh, my marriage, it doesn't look just like The Bachelor. We weren't just walking in a field and found a random hot tub. Well, yeah, it's because there's producers. We weren't just walking in the woods and found a blanket with a gourmet meal and light strung everywhere. My story must not be very good. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a show, in case you didn't know. That's a thing. Well, my movie's not, my life's not like the notebook or something. I don't know what they are. 
<laughs> my husband doesn't glitter when he gets in the sun. So I just don't know about my story. That's, that's not reality. And sometimes we hold our standards to very unrealistic expectations. And the biggest danger in it is when we look at social media. The problem with social media, and I don't have a problem with social media, but the problem with it is it's everywhere. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. You can get it on your TV. It's literally in your face all the time. But the problem with social media is usually all you're getting is people's best. So an example is we're going, oh, I wish my family was like that family. Look at them. They got it all together. Here's an example of my week. Put up the first picture. So this is my look at, oh, we went outside and we were in the backyard playing and they were in the wagon. They just loved each other so much. And we can put that on Facebook and be like, look how perfect our family is. They just love each other. But here's what you didn't see. Next picture. <laughs> in the next picture. One more there. Yeah. So, yeah. So the problem with comparison to other people's story is we put up the good one that looks great. Oh, everybody's so sweet. They got all the... But you don't see reality behind so much. You don't see reality behind so much. And so that's one thing we need to know about our stories. We can't compare ourselves to unrealistic expectations. You can't just look on social media and in magazines and things and be like, oh, I'm not living up to this. I wish I had it together like this. Because a lot of times, that's not reality either. They're not living what you see. Amen? Okay, number two point is you have to take ownership of your story. So many people run from their story and run from who they are. Or they strive to be somebody else. Oh, if I could just be like them. Or, oh, if I could just be like that. But God made you to be you. And so much so, he even proves it in the way that he built and made your body. Do you know that there's been about 60 billion people since the beginning of time, and not one person has your thumbprint? You literally are made one of a kind. Why? Because God wants you to know that who you are individually is who he wants you to be. It's important for us to read leadership books and develop ourselves and grow, but it's not important. It's not who you should be trying to become somebody who you're not. God made you one individual and he wants you to be that individual. First Peter 1.18 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver from your aimless conduct that you received by tradition of your fathers. And verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb who was without spot. So God gave everything for you the way you were. He knew you would be in sin. He knew you wouldn't be perfect, but God emptied the heavenly bank account, if you will. He went all in on you sent his son to die for you, for who you are, because he believes in you as the individual. Ephesians 2, uh, 10 says, For we are his workmanship. The way God made you is the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So the scripture is saying, like God prepared you the way that you are, and you're to take that and walk in good deeds and walk in good things with that. Amen? So literally, you're made in a way that God wants to use, and he wants to use your story, and he values you the way you are. And so you have to own your story. You have to be somebody who says, I am made this way. This is the way. And, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm, my family was always a drunk. God made me a drunk. I'm always going to be a drunk. You know what I'm saying. I'm saying you just have to own your giftings and your personalities. It's easy to look at somebody else and say, oh, I wish I had that. No, I wish I had that. But a lot of times other people are looking back at you going, oh, I wish I had that. Amen. You have to just be comfortable owning who you are. Then I thought about this, my point number three, 
we cannot devalue somebody else's story. We cannot devalue somebody else's story. One of the biggest problems that I see is, especially in church culture, is people will, they'll own who they are. So they'll, 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 they'll come to that realization and they'll say, this is who I am. And they say, I'm so thankful this is who I am and this is who God made me. And they're very secure in who they are. But then the problem is they start spending more energy tearing down somebody who's not who they are. I'll say that again. So I'm comfortable in who I am. This is who God made me. I have a... But then when somebody is not like them, they then just spend more energy trying to tear down that person that's not like them. So one person says, well, that's not my gifting. That's not my thing. And that's not who I am. And so then they spend more energy just tearing down that person of who they're not instead of just running with who they are. And I could just say it again and again in a bunch of different ways because there's so many circles that we go, oh, God's given me this revelation. And oh, I have this. And God's blessed them with their story that they're run with. But then instead of just running with that, they spend more time and more energy devaluing, trying to tear down the people that aren't running like they're running. But do you know that God created diversity? How many of you know that in the kingdom of God, we should see some diversity, especially in the way that we view and minister and do different things. Amen. And so it's important for us to just be great in who we are, comfortable in your own skin, but not working hard at tearing down other people who aren't like you. Romans 12.3 talks about how the body of Christ works together. Romans 12.3, it says, But I say to every one of you, through the grace given to me, not to have an over high opinion of himself, but to have wise thoughts as God has given to every one a measure of faith. God has given us each our own. So don't have a high opinion of what you have. Just know that God has given each person a different measure. Verse 4, For as we all have many members one body, of one body, we're all many members of one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one in the body of Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts according to the grace of God given to us, let us use them. God has graced people differently, and that's what makes up the body of Christ. That's a good place to say amen. God has graced all of us differently. He's given us all different graces, all different measures. And the scripture says that when that's put together, that makes up the body of Christ. Amen. And so it's important for us to have grace towards one another in their stories. Well, I believe it to be this way. And, da, da, da. and I'm not talking about scripture. I'm not talking about how we're going to, I'm not talking about changing scripture and, 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 and the, the issues, the real issues. I'm talking about the flavors to it, how some people go about it. You know what I'm talking about? The message doesn't change, but the methods that we use can be different because God has given us different graces. Amen. And the problem is so many times somebody will get the message and they'll find their method. And then all they do is spend their time trying to tear down other people's methods. We have to stop antagonizing other Christians in works. Amen. All the world. See, I heard a great thought a couple of weeks ago. Do you know that the, the demons get it? They get unity. You never heard of a couple of demons getting an idea and running off and starting their own hell because they understand there's power in unity, right? Christians have got to stop tearing each other apart and running off and making their own sections. Somebody say amen, because there's power in unity. It says that we're all graced differently so that we can work together and make up one body. My hand doesn't do what my foot does, but you know what? My hand doesn't complain at my foot. Amen. <laughs> That is the worst analogy I've ever. 
But listen, there's something wrong with us in the body of Christ if all we're interested in in the kingdom of God, if all we're attracted to is our own kind. There's something sick about that. If all we want is for it to look the same, be the same, talk the same, if all we're attracted to is our own kind, we're very unlike the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is going to be very, very diverse. So when you spend your energy trying to tear down somebody who's not like you because they should be like you, you're actually doing the opposite of the picture of heaven. Amen? Let's check this out. I brought this picture with me. Go ahead and throw that one up there, guys. All right. So everybody take a good look at it. Everybody's looking at it real good. How many of you in here see the bunny? Okay. If you, how many of you in here see the bird? The duck? Oh, wow. Like a lot, of, a lot of those. Okay. Now, those of you that saw the bird, find the bunny. Take a minute on it. See the bunny. Those of you that saw the bunny, see the bird. Boy, I wish you guys paid this much attention when I was preaching. Everybody's over here like, wow. <laughs> this is fascinating. <laughs> I got to own it. I said the hand and the foot thing. That was stupid. So if you checked out, I'm fine with that. Do you see it? Do you see the bunny and the bird? We see the difference now? Here's a huge mistake. We can get rid of that picture. Here's the huge mistake that we make as Christians. And I'll close with this, Maddie. The huge mistake that we make as Christians is we come into an environment. We come into a situation or we come into a family or we come into a community and we come into the situation and we, we walk up to something, we check it out and we go, bunny, and we've labeled it and we leave it that. But God has called us to be a people who understand that we're all graced differently. If you, if you draw back a little bit and you go, hey, let me take another look at that. Oh, there's actually something going on there. So we walk into somebody's life and we go, they're mean, they're, they're hurtful, they're, but take a little bit more. There might be more to their picture that you may need to use a little bit more grace on, that you may need to extend a little bit more compassion toward. But we love to be right and we love to label it and we love to say it's that. But stories are complex and lives and seasons have many layers. And unfortunately, many people don't get the help that they need. So they stuff and they stuff. Or they were actually a bird who's been called a bunny their whole life. So they just started acting like a bunny instead of being a true bird. Because we pre-label it and we stuff them in there. We make it that, we make it that. God wants us to extend grace to those. Because there's a lot of seasons, there's a lot of stories. And you can't just put a label on it. Because God is looking for us to be a people who share in one another's story. I want to hear your story. I want to, and then what we get to do is we get to relate. Psychologists say the most powerful words the human heart can hear, the human can hear, is me too. Or I've been there. Or I get it. I'm not going anywhere. Scripture says that, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all ways was, was, was tempted, but was without sin. What does that scripture mean? It means our God, our Savior can literally say, hey, I've been there. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to live here on earth and be tempted, but I made it and you can make it too. Because God wanted to be a part of our story. So he came down 
and redeemed us so we could be a part of his eternal story. Amen. Stories matter to God. Your story matters to God. But we got to be careful about how we interact with other people's stories. Because we should be like what we talk about. We should be a people who value you and love others toward God. I get it that people need truth and people need conviction and people need all of that stuff. Absolutely. We don't just turn our eye towards, we just don't turn our head from everything. But we got to go about it in a way that we care instead of we just judge. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? Scripture says this about the power that we have in our story. The scripture says in Revelation that we will overcome by the, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, our story, what God's done in our life, what we give to him. I also believe this, that when we give glory to God, God shows up, does something in our life, and we take that and we turn it back to him. It's like the greatest recycling. You give God the glory, he says, yeah, and then gives it right back. Gives another miracle, does another thing in your life, does another thing in your life. If we take that time to use our story to give glory to God, amen?